Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Bobby Kennedy Jr. And we're delighted to have a discussion with him on some really important events as it relates to the current COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome. Thank you for joining us today, Bobby. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, um, I'm eating your vitamins every day, by the way, the liposomal <laughs> vitamin C, so thank you. Well, you're most welcome, most welcome. So I'd like you to share your insights on what Judy discussed in her book, the relationship between the, the flu vaccine and COVID-19, and uh, any thoughts on that and its contribution to the pandemic? Because, you know, vaccines is one of your areas of, of interest, certainly. Yeah, so the flu vaccine... You know, let me just talk for a minute about the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. COVID, you know, we're all waiting for a vaccine. And, and, you know, by the way, Joe, if they come up with a vaccine and they actually done real testing on it, safety testing, and the vaccine works, I would be happy to have the vaccine. But the problem is they're not taste testing it at this point. Oh. Could you give us the backstory too? When Trump, we were all excited when Trump was elected because one of his positions was he was going to appoint you to the vaccine advisory committee. And the story on the street is that Gates got to him. In fact, Gates, I think, even mentioned in one of his interviews that well, he advised Gates, uh, Gates, against. Gates says that he talked Trump out of it. But I think that Trump was uh, probably listening to a lot of people at that time. And I think he was uh, probably the, the bigger impact was on them uh, immediately after President Trump at that point was President-elect Trump. Mm -hmm. He contacted me right after his election. I was actually out, um, I was out uh, skiing at the time with my kids out west. He contacted me and asked me to come see him. And I came see him to see him in early January before his inauguration. And he asked me to run the commission, the Vaccine Safety Commission. And I, of course, agreed. Um, even though, you know, I'm a Democrat and, and, you know, people were angry at me for working with the president, but that didn't bother me. So um, I agreed to do it. But immediately after that, President Trump received a um, Pfizer, wrote a million dollar check to his inauguration committee. <laughs> and he then appointed uh, Pfizer lobbyist, um, Alex Azar, to run HHS and a hand-picked you know, Pfizer insider, uh, Scott Gottlieb, to run the FDA. And as soon as they got in there, they shut down the Vaccine Safety Commission and you know, any other questioning on vaccines. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. I, we, well, I was curious as to what happened with that. Yeah. So I think that probably had more. I think a lot of people were telling him you shouldn't be doing this in case was one of them. But I think he was probably listening more to um, 
you know, I think once he once he took the money from Pfizer and and put in their guys, it was dead in the water. Okay. So, um, you know, on COVID, people have tried for many years, for three decades, to to uh, create a coronavirus vaccine. Which is which is the same virus as the as the cold, common cold. They haven't been able yeah, to do right. it. Exactly, and so there's been a lot of, and it, and it's sorry, it, as you know, it, the coronavirus can be super virulent um, and super deadly, or it can be mild, and super transmissible, or, or it can be mild, like a cold. So, um, and the Chinese have been trying to do it after 2002, beginning in 2002, there were three SARS epidemics. The first one was a natural um, epidemic that had been, you know, that had moved from bats to human beings. The second two were lab-created organisms that, you know, were people were experimenting at that point with the coronavirus. And when you, when you try to create a vaccine, you, what you do is you accelerate evolution. And the way that they accelerate evolution is they take the organism from the anus of the bat they put that organism on maybe on pangolin kidney tissue and they grow it and then they take it off the pangolin the grown virus or the, off the pangolin kidney tissue and they put it on monkey vera monkey kidneys and then they take it from there and they put it on mouse brains and they every time they move it into a new animal it, it kicks off all kinds of mutations. So you can take 60 years of evolution and you can compress it into a couple of days. You create super virulent forms of virus in that process. It's called accelerated evolution. And you create mild forms. And you can take the mild forms and you can turn them into a vaccine. So because you can take it, you can you can take a mild form and give a person that mild form and they don't get really get sick. They develop the antibodies, and that's the theory. So, but there also there's reasons that they like to create those super virulent forms. One is most of the labs where they do this, like Fort Detrick in our country and the Wuhan lab in China, are not only vaccine labs, but they're also military labs. So they want to mess around and, and look at these viruses, and they may be able to weaponize. Not only that, the vaccine, the people who are creating vaccines like to create super virulent forms. They give them to mice who have been, who have been um, uh, uh, genetically engineered to have human immune systems, essentially. And then they try to cure them. And so that's what, you know, and those experiments were going on in the United States in, until 2014. They were Anthony Fauci's product projects. He was, President Obama ordered that to stop because they had a lot of lab escape problems in one year, in 2014, from three different labs. They had big problems in the United States. And then, but, and instead of stopping as he was ordered, Fauci moved those operations to the Wuhan lab in China and continued to do those experiments right up until the time of the coronavirus. Ian Lipkin, who you know, was doing those experiments over there when the coronavirus exploded. And I'll tell you exactly, you know, what happened, because it's very kind of suspicious. Is when President Trump came in, you know, um, Obama had a, 
uh, an office in the White House for pandemic um, defense, pandemic security. They were involved in funding those, you know, through Fauci, those projects in Wuhan. President Trump, Trump ended all funding for that office. And the funding ended on September 30th, 2019. So that was the last paycheck that any of those scientists got. And on September 30th, a whole lot of scientists were laid off in Wuhan. And October 1st is when the coronavirus, um, that's the first case of coronavirus 19. So it's kind of suspicious because it looks like there's a possibility. And, you know, I, I'm speculating here, so I want to make that clear. There's a possibility that somebody who lost their job in that lab, um, you know, there's speculation that maybe they could have released the virus because immediately it created an instantaneous market for people with that particular skill set, which is to study how to make a coronavirus vaccine. So, you know, you, you could go from unemployed to highly employed almost overnight if you, if you did release one of those microorganisms, which they were creating in that lab. I don't know if that happened, but that's something that needs to Certainly be a possibility. But do you think a lot of people believe that it may be part of a broader uh, project to, to engineer fear into the population to create and, and, and economic collapse was in fact planned the, to transfer the wealth assets from to 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 the top point zero 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 one percent and transfer that because of this collapse. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and the rest of us living under a very authoritarian mm -hmm. regime. Um, so anyway, I, you know, we don't know whether that, Joe, of course, that speculation and, and it's stuff that if we were living in a true democracy um, where there was a free press that was actually permitted to ask those questions and to speculate on that, and you know, then we we would be doing an investigation of those questions, which we have a right to know, and we all ought to know the answer. Unfortunately, you know, the the journalists today are no longer journalists; they're pharmaceutical reps, and um, you know, yeah. they're along those lines, I, I've neglected to express my appreciation for your coming to my defense late last year when the Washington Post vilified me as the force behind the anti-vax movement for funding them. And, and then you know, wrote a very nice rebuttal uh, around Christmas last year. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. I don't actually remember even writing that now, but of course that's what I would have done if I'd seen that. So yeah. So there's so was... many attacks now that I, you know, I spend my full time doing those kind of things. Anyway, yeah. you know, yeah, an example of the, of the censorship and the manipulation of the media. Yeah. They, they, they were, they're basically out of an agenda of the industry and in many cases, pharmaceutical companies. Of course, and, and you're a huge threat to them because you know you are not part of the pharmaceutical paradigm. You're telling people the truth, which is that there's problems with germ theory and that the best defense that we have against, um, against the illness of all kinds, including infectious diseases, are really strong immune system and that our immune system functions, you know, like God intended it and evolution intended it, which is to fend off 
on billions, hundreds of billions of infectious viruses every single day. Yeah, which and is one of the reasons why you're doing that, and so they hate you. Oh. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why all your great work with glyphosate and helping get that removed or eliminated was so helpful because that definitely impairs the immune system. But I'm wondering if uh, you... let me just let me just finish what I was what sure. kind of the history of the COVID okay. vaccines. In 2002, we had a natural outbreak of SARS, which is a COVID um, vaccine, a COVID um, virus, and then. And shortly after that, we had two more epidemics, and those were lab-created. That's uncontroversial. Everybody, you know, accepts that. And the Chinese, the Americans, the Europeans all got together and said, we need to develop a vaccine against coronavirus. So around 2012, they had about 30 vaccines that looked promising. They took the, most, the four best of those, the best of class, and they made vaccines from them. They manufactured the vaccines and they gave those vaccines to ferrets, which are the closest analogy when you're looking at lung infections to human beings. And the ferrets had, a, had an extraordinarily good antibody response. And that is the metric by which FDA licenses vaccines. You know, vaccines, as you know, are never tested in the field. They never give 5,000 people a vaccine, 5,000 people a placebo vaccine, and then go out, tell them, go out and, you know, live life, and then go and, and watch what happens to those people. That never happens. The way the vaccines get licensed is that FDA gives people the vaccines, or the, the industry gives them the vaccines, and then they look at, they do a serological response. They see, did you develop in your blood antibodies to that target virus? And so the ferrets developed very strong antibodies. So they thought, they, the scientists thought we hit the jackpot. All four of these vaccines, I think there were three RNA vaccines and one spike protein vaccine, and all of them were like a charm. Then something terrible happened. <laughs> Those ferrets were then exposed to the wild virus. And essentially, they all died. <laughs> Body-wide inflammation in all their organs and their lungs stopped functioning, and they died. Then those scientists remembered that the same thing had happened in the 1960s when they looked and when they tried to develop an RSV vaccine, which is upper respiratory illness, very similar to coronavirus. At the time, they did not test it on animals. They went right to human testing. They tested it on, I think, about 35 children, and the same thing happened. The children developed a champion antibody response, robust, durable. It looked perfect, and then the children were exploded to the wild virus, and they all became sick, and two of them died. They abandoned the vaccine. It was a big embarrassment to FDA, NIH, etc., and those scientists in 2012 remember that, and they said this is the same thing happened. So they looked closer, and they realized that the antibodies that were being produced by the coronavirus, well, there's two kind of antibodies. There's neutralizing antibodies, which are the kind you want, which fight the disease, and then they're binding antibodies. And the binding antibodies actually create a pathway for the disease in your body, and they created something that is called a trigger something that's called an um, immune enhancement or paradoxical immune response, 
paradoxical immune enhancement and what that means is that it looks good until you get the disease and then you get, um, it makes the disease much, much worse. Same thing happened in 2014 with the dengue vaccine, which was Tony Fauci's vaccine. He in fact owns the patent on it, but there's a vaccine called Dengavax. And they knew, they knew from the clinical trials that there was a problem with paradoxical immune response. They gave it to several hundred thousand Filipino kids anyhow. And those Filipino kids got great immune response. And then when they got dengue, they got horribly, horribly sick. And 600 of them died. Mm. And today the Philippine government is prosecuting criminally a bunch of the people locally who were involved in that decision. Oh, the question with coronavirus vaccines is, you know, they can be very dangerous. And that's why even like our enemies, people who hate you and me, Peter Hotez, Paul Offit, Ian Lipkin are all saying, you gotta be really, really careful with this vaccine. The other problem with coronavirus vaccines is coronavirus mutates very, very quickly. In fact, there's a recent study in China that shows about 30, um, that, that in one of the hospitals there, they looked at the coronavirus strains and you know, hundreds of patients they found, I think 35 different strains because it mutated so fast. The question is, if you give somebody a coronavirus to one of those strains, is it gonna protect them against the, the rest? Finally, or it could be like flu where the, the vaccine will protect you has a narrow band of, of immune response. It will protect you against one of those strains and not against the rest of it. And it may actually enhance your, um, your you know, you, the injury from those other strains. Finally, WHO is now saying, and the UK, you know, the British medical um, services are now saying that there is no evidence that even getting an infection from the coronavirus equips you with antibodies that will protect you in the future. They're seeing a lot of reinfection of people who got coronavirus, got better, and then got coronavirus again. And if that's true, then it's unlikely that any vaccine will work. Because, of course, you know, natural infection is always going to be, um, provide a much, much a wider band immune response than a vaccine. And if a wide infection, a wild infection cannot give you antibodies, then it's highly unlikely that a vaccine ever will. Now, Judy has some strong beliefs on that, and that she doesn't believe COVID-19 is due to SARS-CoV-2 but in fact may serve to activate a latent uh, XMRV retroviral infection. That's the combination that seems to give the, this characteristic cytochrome, cytochrome, cytokine signatures, cytokine storm signature that's observed. I mean, and she documented this like 20 years ago or so, or even longer. Uh, and it, at least that's her contention. So I'm wondering if you had any... Well, I, no, I mean, this brings up the... And I don't know about that, and that's way above my like pay grade. That Judy has a um, has a brain that is uh, yeah. Well, let me put it this way: it's a lot smarter than my brain. <laughs> well, well, maybe with respect to science, but don't sell yourself short. You're a pretty sharp guy. Brilliant. I I um, 
you know, I, I have nothing but respect for her and her courage and everything else, but she's really, really smart, and I don't have to. Okay. But it does bring up this other subject that you spoke of before, which is that, um, you know, there's this Pentagon study from January 2017. I mean, from January 2020, so this year. And the Pentagon study is actually two years old. Uh, the Pentagon was looking at, because of, for interest of military readiness, the Pentagon does a lot of work with infectious diseases, and it was trying to experiment, experiments to see whether getting the flu shot would help against coronavirus. And what it found surprised them, which was actually when you get the flu shot, it makes you more susceptible to coronavirus. So it mm -hmm. raised the risk of coronavirus by 36% if you had a previous flu shot. And that study was not about coronavirus 19, but it was coronavirus. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's something, it's a red flag. And that study is not alone. We found, and I've posted these on my Instagram, about at least 10 other studies that say, yeah, if you get the flu vaccine, you're much more likely to get a non-flu respiratory viral infection. And the, you know, the risk goes up on some of those studies, about uh, six hundred percent, and on other uh, other of those studies, um, less than that, 400 percent. But you know, virtually all of, all of these studies that we found show that the, the flu vaccine actually makes you more susceptible to coronavirus. And others, there may be reasons for that. It may be it's been speculated that there may be coronavirus contamination in the flu vaccines. Well, actually, Judy believes it's XMRV in the vaccine. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. It could be the XMRV. It could yeah. be, it could be coronavirus. Yeah, could and be. you're getting that, you know, you're getting that paradoxical immune response because you've been um, inadvertently inoculated with the coronavirus when you get the flu vaccine. Oh, so we don't know. Oh, we do know. I mean, the 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 observed effect is very well documented. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting uh, correlation, and uh, sad to say. And uh, this, Judy believes also that the Italian, the this more serious nature of the epidemic in Italy was related to the fact that they were culturing their flu vaccines with the much more virulent strains that had a higher concentration or penetration of the XMRV, which is why they ex experienced what they did. That's her contention. Oh, yeah, I mean, and there's, a, there's, I've seen a lot of kind of anecdotal discussion um, of the fact that the people, the cohorts that seem to be getting ill are, um, are uh, by and large, are disproportionately cohorts who you would expect to have been vaccinated. So, Senior citizens who have the highest vaccination rates for the flu are the ones who are dying. Um, and then medical workers. And, you know, in that northern Italy, there was a, right before the, the outbreak of the virus, there was a mass vaccination for that, you know, very, very powerful flu vaccine. And you're starting to see it now in kids in this country. And, you know, unfortunately, we are inoculating a lot of kids with flu vaccines in this country. Oh, um, you know, and that, but that's, it's anecdotal there, you know, there's no, um, 
proof of it because, of course, the CDC is now, you could, could look at that very easily, and they ought to. As you and I know, they never will, because they don't yeah. want to hear bad news. And the, C- the CDC uh, has a private foundation that essentially is a vaccine company. Yeah, on the board of the CDC Foundation are the four big vaccine makers, Sanofi, Merck, Glaxo, and Pfizer. Yeah, and you did a brilliant expose of them when you were on RT recently, uh, explaining the history and the connection and how it's, uh, it's all self-perpetuating. They're not the ostensibly public health servants that they appear to be. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to connect and thanks for everything you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for having me and, uh, you know, keep swinging out there. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye now.